0: Feels good to be back for another episode with another great guest this week. We've got Matt Loftus, co-founder of Roback, the activewear company, and one of my good, good friends from, from Davidson in college. And another, another fire episode. What do you think?
1: Yeah, this was our first interview that I didn't know the person ahead of time, uh, but I really enjoy getting to know uh, Matt and really just the hour we spent together with um, so it was really, really enjoyable.
0: I'll give a little
1: bit of background on, on Matt, but then I actually have a,
0: have a question for you about the interview, Stanley. So when you listen to this recording, I think it's helpful to know there's a couple of people that Matt mentions a few times. One is his co-founders are his co-founders with Roback, Kevin Hubbard, who is a friend of ours from Davidson and his wife, Christina, who is also an, uh, another another Roback founder. He also mentions John Frankel, who is one of our friends from college who tragically passed away our, our senior year and, as you'll hear, is actually integral to the founding story of Roback. But there's there's a lot that we get into in the episode, and, and I think you'll get a clear picture for Matt's personality and, and how he thinks about company building and leadership and, and how some of those Viewpoints were were forged, but Stanley, I'm curious. You mentioned you don't know Matt prior to this recording. How would you describe him after
1: listening to our conversation? The one word that comes to mind is authentic. So he kind of talks about himself. He talks about uh, his friends. He talks about the brand that he and his team are building, and it just felt very genuine and authentic. You know everything he talked about, whether it was be active. Whether it was humility it just felt like he lived that every day and and i don't I don't know the brand though I now I kind of want to go out and 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 find something um, it did, it all just felt very authentic and genuine
0: yeah i I agree with that as a single word to describe him for sure and hopefully folks will agree and you'll you'll hear the mention of Roback many, many times, but can't co-sign their their clothing enough. They, they didn't pay us anything to be, fe- be featured as a part of this episode. Although, Matt, feel free to send us some shirts. But hope you enjoy this episode with co-founder of Roback, Matt Loftus.
2: Hopefully it's uh, not the last time we're on HBO.
1: Who knows it? Maybe it'll come like really famous. I'd
0: like to welcome into the podcast... Matt Loftus. Matt, welcome.
2: Zip. Stanley, thanks for having me, guys.
0: Of course, man. It's a it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And uh, really exciting for for me because you're a, a friend that I admire in, in, in many ways. So excited to dig into your background and, and learn a little bit more about you than, than I already know.
2: That goes that goes both ways, Zip. Can't wait to ask you these questions on uh, off off air right after this.
0: Yeah, don't forget, this is an interview of you, Laffy <laughs> People are showing up to listen to you, to, to, to hear about you.
2: It'll, it'll yeah. be uncomfortable, but I'm ready. I can't wait.
0: I love it. I wanted to start with something that I think is, is pretty unique about your background, and I'm hoping is a bit illustrative about who you are and, and where you've come from and, and where you are now, and, and ties that story together. So I wanted to start with... Having you describe the summer that you worked in construction and what that was like,
2: definitely, man. One of one of my favorite and least favorite summers at the same time. Uh, to give a little bit of background leading into that, um, my dad grew up in the construction industry in New York City. He's a he was a pile driver. He's retired since. Um, lucky to still be here and still healthier than ever. But uh, he. Um, was a pile driver in New York City, heavy construction, um, and it was really tough at times. You know, he had major down moments, um, but I think one of the coolest, biggest impacts he had on me was he just worked so hard, and he was an entrepreneur, came, you know, started out as just a day laborer, learned um, learned how to operate cranes, learned how to um, start his own business and eventually grew up and, um, had uh, at the end of his career was, which was the peak of his career. He ended up doing the, the piles for, um, City Field. So a huge project, the, the new Mets stadium. Um, but it's and- not
0: City Field. It's, it's the house that Loftus built.
2: <laughs> he tried to pitch that name, but it didn't, it didn't go over too well. Didn't stay um, but, uh, so he, you know, he, he piles. Um, and there was one summer, uh, it was the summer after my freshman year in college. So zip, we had just had an awesome freshman year and my dad, I think he, he saw that I needed a little more strength in me. You know, I needed to get a little more rough around the edges and think goes too, too nice. I think he put it. Um, but he was like, Hey Matt, do you want to, do you want to do this? He actually didn't have me work for him. He had me Joined the union as a as um, a basically a day construction worker. Um, I, you know, it was the the technical term was a dock builder, and he put me on the toughest crew he could find in New York City. So my manager was uh, was was a former Coney Island strongman. Uh, he could bend rebar around his neck. He um, at lunch he would bench. He'd have his whole team bench. Um, I don't know if he's killed people in the past, (laughs) but, uh, it was such an, I feel
0: like that's not a joke. No,
2: I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, I, so every day was at at the start was just a pain, you know, like I did not want to go to work. He would threaten my, my life every day. It wasn't a great work environment (laughs) looking back on it, but it was exactly what I needed. My dad was spot on. Um, he paired me up with the old guy on the job who was very wise. I could learn a ton from, but didn't want to work, you know, didn't want to hustle. So I, I quickly just got exhausted every day, grinding, doing every rough task I could.
0: Can I, can I actually ask a question about that? Yeah. What what was the reception like on your first day of work when the boss's son showed up?
2: Yeah. Everyone, I mean, right away, people were asking, how'd you get your books? How'd you get into the union? You know, you're, you're too young for this. What's going on? And I had, you know, eventually came out that my dad was Mike Loftus. They knew that pile driving company. And from then on, my life was just hell. So, which was great. You know, Uh, it just toughened me up. I had to bulk up. I had to work incredibly hard to get everyone's respect. Um, and that was like my goal every day. I just wanted to get these guys respect. Um,
0: did, did did they do anything or or what did they do to, to mess with you? Uh,
2: they would make me do tasks that had no, no need to be done, you know, run to this side of the job, grab me, you know, whatever this, you know, uh, anything, the grinder. And then I'd bring the grinder over and they'd be like, no, 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 no. I didn't need the grinder. I need the torch. And I'd run over, run back. And it was like games at first. I think they were just messing with me, like challenging me too. Um, and slowly but surely, I earned, you know, a few of their respect. Um,
0: when, when did you realize that it was more of a test for you than anything else?
2: Um, I think after the after the first couple weeks. At first, I was like, I'll do anything, you know. Let me just figure this out. And then as I started to gain some awareness, I knew that they were messing with me. Um, And that was my time where I had to start giving it back uh, and not just take it, you know. And I think when I started to challenge them and also just deliver. um, And then also there were a couple of new guys who came on and I saw new guys leave, you know. So I think started to stand the test of time, even though it was a few months, Um, but then it ended up being a couple summers that I worked for a couple crews, um, and it ended up being one of the best internships, you could call it, of my life, for sure, Um, but also knew that I wanted to try something else after it.
0: You you didn't want a career in working with Coney Island (laughs) strongmen.
2: I knew my scrawny frame could never get to Coney Island strongman level. <laughs> but uh, I did. It was cool because I one big thing is I got to respect my dad from a whole different way. Because um, at the tail end of it, I started, to, I worked on my dad's crew. Um, and I just saw the way the guys looked up to him as their boss. I knew they weren't just doing it because I was there. Um, and I saw the way he managed and the way he led his team. Um, and he just had the ultimate presence, um, and I knew I I wanted to be an entrepreneur and a, and a leader like that one day, but I just knew I just didn't want to do it in construction. And he actually advised me not to, because it was just a tough business. You know, he had he had had two crew members die on his job site through his years. Um, he had people set him up. You know, he had a it was a tough kind of a dirty business. Um, so learned he learned so much. I tried to learn as much as I could from him, but at the end of the day, it was time to find another industry.
0: What What did you take away from what you knew about your dad before going through that experience yourself, and then seeing how they treated your dad as a part of that experience?
2: I think I you know wrestled growing up with tough love from my dad. You know, um, and. I never, you know, I was I was pretty nice and probably softer than, you know, his way softer than his, his construction workers were. And he was. And I think I just saw the importance of being able to give it back, being able to work, in, you know, incredibly hard. Um, and that's what he's always preached, you know. And I think it really reiterated many lessons he had taught, you um, And I just gained a whole new respect for him because I could see him in an environment where he led, you know, his, his employees. Um, And it was more than that relationship. You know, he would buy breakfast for his, for his crews each morning. No other, um, you know, manager or or business owner did that of all the different crews. Um, There were so many little things he did that made me really appreciate, you know, his, everything about him um it was it was just fun seeing him from a different light
0: how do you take after that essence of servant leadership now and in in your life
2: definitely yeah um i think
0: How how does that show up for you
2: i think a couple things one is leading by example you know i saw him learn how to drive a crane learn how to cut steel learn how to do anything so if anyone on the job sat out he could step in and execute just as well um sometimes it might seem like too many hands on deck or 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 too in the weeds but when you can do that it you just command the ultimate respect from those who are working for you uh, and working with you you know um because you know the boss is never going to let you down and they're ready to step in and help you no matter what. Um, And I think, you know, treating, treating your, your um, colleagues and employees as if they're, you know, your friends or your brothers or your sisters or your family. um, I think that goes so far, you know, it shows you really truly care about them. You know, you, you know, like, ways that we do it is um
0: yeah can you can you maybe just back up a little bit because obviously you're leading a company now but everyone listening to this podcast might not know matt loftus co-founder and c level exec so maybe can you just describe a little bit about what what you're working on now because i think a lot of these things that you're talking about make sense in that context
2: totally um well, i mean, so I started a clothing brand, an activewear brand called Roback with a couple of my best friends, uh, Christina, my wife, and Kevin Hubbard, um, one of Josh and my best friends from Davidson. Uh, and it's the three of us running the company. Um, and we now have a, a about 25 employees. Um, we've been doing it for five years. We started it in 2016. Um, we had zero experience, didn't know what we were doing, but I think it was just hard work, uh, figuring things out and and being very willing to, to make mistakes, um, and fail along the way. That's, that's gotten us at least here, but hopefully we got a long way to go.
0: Yeah, I I think it's really fun for me to hear you talk about the lessons learned from the construction job site and now you type all day or film videos <laughs> I don't. in truth. I don't know what you do all day, but it's, it's not driving piles. And so it's fun for me to hear how that experience shaped the way that you are building an active wear brand.
2: Totally. Yeah. It's ingrained in, in, uh, I guess ingrained in me, just those principles, I guess, to try to do everything. Um, being willing to fail and then lead by example, um, but yeah, it, it doesn't really apply other than those you know principles behind it.
0: Where did that uh, identity as a potential entrepreneur, risk taker, come from, or was it just observed from watching your dad and saying that's something that I'd like to do?
2: I think it was mostly observed. Um, I remember there were moments in my childhood uh, where I would see my dad be worried about money or be frustrated at things that were happening in the industry. And I just remember, I think it was a critical time for me, maybe when I was 11 or 12, um, and it motivated me to try to start making money. Uh, and one was one way I was doing it was caddying at our, the local country club. Um, and I found out I could just save money. Um, and I always offered it to my parents to try to help pay for things. Uh, and little did I know, you know, they were okay. Uh, but I just saw a little bit of frustration or a little bit of worry and thought I could help. Um, so I think the, I think that was kind of the root when things started, when I wanted, I started to develop that entrepreneurial itch. Um, it was mostly to try to save money in case anything bad happened. Um, and then that led to just opportunities. You know, those those caddying gigs <clears throat> eventually led to a job at GE, which I took the, the summer after I, you know, worked construction. Um, and that led to a...
0: It's I, interesting that you are now, you know, you started a brand from scratch, but you started at... You know, this multinational huge enterprise company, company. Which I think on paper doesn't fit with what you just described. So I'm curious how you reconcile that stop or, or what you gained from that stop that is part of how you operate or part of how you've made Roback successful to this point.
2: Totally. I honestly didn't know much about what I was getting into with GE. <clears throat> It was uh, an unbelievable experience, though. Um, I knew I was just trying to find a job. I don't know if you remember, Josh, at Davidson. We were just trying to find jobs. but uh, do remember. <laughs> we're, we're always trying. But um, this one came up. I you know, was networking, called a, uh, someone I used to caddy for. I knew they were big at GE, um, and I knew they had an incredible financial management training program. Um, and I knew if I wanted to start my bu- a business one day um, or whoever it would be with, it would be super helpful to have kind of financial literacy. So that's one of the reasons I, I majored in economics at Davidson um, and wanted to keep going down that path to get that experience. Uh, and GE taught me just that, Those, that financial management program. There's a two-year training program. Every six months, I rotated through a new business within GE. Helped with their corporate finance, understood that started to understand their books, um, you know the the financial language within GE at least, and it really helped me develop that backbone. Um, how to be a beast in Excel, you know, um, turn everything into Excel and PowerPoint, which <laughs> was how we started to design our products at Roback, you know, using Excel and PowerPoint. But it was uh, it was. It was so helpful looking back. They did such a good job training, um, but I knew, I knew that I didn't want to just rise up. I kind of was was itching big time to go somewhere else and, and start something.
0: Was that was that itch more of belief in yourself or a creative itch? What what kind of itch was it?
2: I think it was both. It's, it's a good way to put it. I think a lot of it was a creative itch because I was back office, in a cube, the way I could get creative was building cool spreadsheets. Um, and I wasn't allowed to talk to anyone about them, you know, I'd send them to my manager, try to interact with people, but but couldn't. Um, so I just knew it wasn't the right environment for me. And I knew all I could do is, was become, you know, biggest goal in that role would be CFO of GE. Um, and even then, you're still head down in the financials, you can't really You know, it's not like you can really make huge, you know, business decisions across all types of, uh, you know, all all angles, all parts of the business, um, all the different departments. So I had one role where I got to interact with different departments of the business and I realized I got to get out of finance and I had learned a ton and and it was time to to go to the next step. Um, So it was an itch for, for creativity, but also, I think I needed. I was ready to kind of start rounding my toolkit out a little bit more than just finance, um, or I would just be glued into Excel spreadsheets for the rest of my life.
0: And assuming, knowing you, you didn't have any background in clothing design or fashion. What, what was your first step when you decided I want to build an activewear brand? How did you think about actually kicking that off?
2: Yeah so it's a funny kind of backstory i'll 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 go into it but speed me up if i'm slowing us down um when i went ended up leaving ge going to business school at darden um over at uva um that's where we're here now in charlottesville virginia but um so it was a two-year mba program first year um you know just try to get through it i ended up getting a job with consulting because um with Accenture uh, for an internship there, because I was still looking for you know what, what to start, explore a new indus- industry. I felt like that was a good way to explore some different industries. And then it wasn't until the second year when things really heated up with starting Robac. Um, at the time, Christina, well, uh, Kevin, our good friend IS, a few other friends uh, from Hamilton, Stu, we had started a, a prank Instagram account. Um, and the account of all things was called Brotherhood of the Traveling Pants, where we pranked our friend who wore these bright orange pants that we, we kind of made fun of. Um, and we just wore them around town to different doing different activities to different events. And it was just an inside joke. We had like 15 followers, and it was really just a prank. Um, but uh, I forget who it was, maybe Christina. Um, had the idea before we kicked the can to reach out to a few brands and see if we could ask for a free pair of pants in exchange for a fun marketing story. And this was 2015, you know, early or 2014, early days of Instagram. Brands didn't really know what to do with the platform. So we called or we, we LinkedIn messaged Bonobos, I think Peter Millar, Vineyard Vines, and maybe a couple others. And Vineyard Vines got back to us the next day. And they set up a call with us and they said um, they wanted to make us their main marketing campaign for the summer. And we were like, what, what does that even mean? We were embarrassed to do it. But uh, at the time we were trying to raise money for a scholarship, which Josh, I know you're very familiar with in honor of our friend who had passed away at Davidson. Um, So we asked Vineyard Vines if they could help us raise money. We needed another $30,000 to complete the scholarship. Um, And we only had till the end of the year to do it because it was the five-year mark. Um, So they said they were confident they would help us. We were very motivated then to create content for them. They would repost our stuff. Um, Eventually, I think we earned their trust um, that they made ties for us. Stu's mom helped us design ties with a dog with its head out the window. That's how John, our friend, always said he lived life like a dog with its head out the window. And we sold them with all sales going to the scholarship. Um, And by the end of that summer, we had raised the thirty thousand dollars. I think the Brotherhood of the Traveling Pants account had ten thousand followers. And I think a big thing was we just learned how to create content for brands Um, at an infancy level. You know, we knew there was something there. Um, And then the What,
0: what, what type of content were you creating?
2: We were we were creating content with these bright pair of pants that Vineyard Vines would send us, uh, new ones that they wanted to release, and it was all active. You know, like whether it was jumping off cliffs, you know, into water or water skiing in the pants, kind of like hyperbole. You know, just showing that they were active. Um, and I think one thing we noticed is we were kind of embarrassed to show our face, so <laughs> everything was from far away. Everything was active. You,
0: Sorry, Sorry Vineyard Vines.
2: From behind. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, we were proud. I think it was just our nature of not, you know, not wanting to make it, make it about us. We were were trying to make it about the the scholarship and and raising funds. Um, so it was interesting content and Vineyard Vines loved it. Um, but it was like, after that, it took maybe the account was, was just kind of dead. You know, after we completed the scholarship, we had no incentive to keep it going. Um, and it wasn't until like a year, year and a half later when I was now in the my second year in business school, Kevin was in DC. We had been talking a little bit, Kevin had brought up the idea and was like, Hey, we should think about starting a clothing brand. Like we know we can do it for other brands. Why not do it for ourselves?" Um, Christina was in her first year of business school at the time I was going into my second. Um, and we decided to give it a shot. Um, we then basically just I dedicated my second year to doing everything I could to learn how to start a clothing brand. Uh, Christina did it for two years at business school and Kevin did it from DC working nights, weekends, everything. Um, And that was kind of how how it started.
0: That's that's amazing. And the fact that five years later you have 25 employees and I see Roback shirts and apparel all the time now, and it, it still gets me very excited every time, every time it happens, but it, it's pretty amazing to see how far you guys have come in, in such a short
2: amount of time. Uh, might be everyone you saw, you already sold them the shirt, so I would <laughs> have some credit there.
0: <laughs> One thing that I think is really notable about almost every story that you've told so far from caddying and offering money to your parents, to this scholarship and raising money for the John Frankel scholarship fund and even some of the things that I've seen Roback do around with uh, army veterans uh, I, I've just noticed that there's a, a strong thread in everything that you're a part of that there's something bigger than just the thing and I wonder if you can maybe share more about that, if that's, if that's on on point.
2: Totally. Yeah. I think, uh, I just really believe we can be bigger than just making money. I think er early on, I was just trying to save money, you know, for my family, Um, even though we were, we were in decent shape. And, but I think as I grew, I had so many great friends and great mentors um, who showed me that life is more about, you know, if you're in the position to help, you got to do it. It's your responsibility. Um, and I even think with row we're not, even when we first started, we weren't really in a position to help, but we still tried to make giving back part of our DNA. Um, and we wanted to prove that we could, you can be a small brand and you can grow by giving back instead of growing big and then giving back. Um, so kind of one of our pillars within Roback, our, our motto is crave activity. Um, and our, you know, that comes from kind of our DNA. We love being outside. We love craving activity. Zip. I know you do more than anyone, but I think that was like our mantra when when we were friends. And John Frankel, actually, he, he kind of was a big inspiration there. He was so active too. But um, that motto, crave activity, we've got two ways to do it. One, make products that are incredible and help people crave activity. Two, um, we can create content that that allow people to be inspired to crave activity. Um, but an important kind of third one is we can partner with organizations or even create our own charities um, to inspire people to crave activity. Um, and we think activities are, are a huge way that people can bond and people um, can kind of do bigger things than, than, you know, they might be able to without them, a great way for people to meet. Um, but we've we've kind of found a lot of different communities that we've wanted to help crave activity, one being veterans with PTS, um, some being, uh, you know, People that need resources, whether it be um, golfers of color who don't have travel resources, um, we found we've we've started an a, a organization called Drive Change to help eight golfers of color, um, you know, get the resources they need to travel to tournaments to break the barriers and, and become PGA Tour players. Um, we've partnered with a, f- a few other organizations, Pups for Patriots. Uh, Um, The Reef Foundation, helping paraplegics and quadriplegic people. Um,
0: Yeah. It it, it, it makes sense knowing you that that is a core part of the brand because one of the bullets that I wrote down ahead of this conversation was that humility is, I think, one of the defining traits that I think of when I think of you and it's kind of ironic because i think of you as so good at so many things and and you would never ad- admit that and the humility that the brand takes in choosing to partner with these organizations and give back especially from your infancy all the way up till now and i'm sure beyond mirrors what i think is something core to who you are as a person, which is understanding your role in a, in a, in a larger scene. But I am curious to know, when do you pat yourself on the back? When do you congratulate yourself? Because I see you congratulate others all the time. And clearly this is, Humility is important to you, but when do you kind of give yourself the love or congratulate congratulations as a part of things you do?
2: Um, I don't really like soak in it ever, you know. And I, okay, I think maybe because I'm, I'm never really satisfied uh, with with just I should more, you know. But I think it's more important to do it for other people around me, you know. Um, it doesn't, like, I think maybe I've trained myself to not worry about me so much or, or celebrating me. Um, maybe that's something I've gotten from my dad because I know he never did. The last person he cared about was himself. Um, and I don't think that necessarily, necessarily is a good thing or the right thing to do, but... Um, because self love and self care is very important. Um, so I got to work on that big time. But for me, I just get, I just really enjoy, you know, celebrating other people's work. Um, I think it's the best way, you know, to help those, help help lead an organization too. Um, and also just be a great husband, friend, brother, whatever it might be. Um, but I don't have a good, a good answer for it. I got to work on it. Um, but that's, that's it
0: too, too humble. That's, 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 that's your problem lofty.
2: No, 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 no.
0: (laughs) I'm curious to learn more about how you've, how you feel like you've imprinted your personality onto the brand beyond the humility aspect.
2: I think, uh, it's so interesting. The brand is such a baby, you know, like it's everything you do, every word you choose on your copy, every, every photo, every video, every edit, um, shapes the brand, every product you design, anything that any customer or community member could see organization you partner with athlete you endorse. Um, so really every, well, Christina, Kevin and I, you know, started the brand and, and we've grown it to a certain point. Every person within Roback has such a huge impact on it. Um, I think one big thing is just making it all about craving activity. Um, I think I've always just been an active guy. I know Christina and Kevin are too. That's another thing is we're all very similar in our interests and our passions and and our vision. So we've been so aligned and we rarely have to have to check each other on on any imprints of the brand Um, i think uh interestingly enough i played a lot of golf growing up um and was a junior golfer tried to play in college um didn't didn't end up happening but uh i loved my polo shirts when i played golf growing up and i had some of my favorites I started to develop a little bit of a, a color palette. You know, I'd pick, my closet was always organized and I never really thought of it or, or even considered myself at all, any type of artist or creator or anything like that. Um, but I, one of the things I'm most proud of is just helping us build our color palette, our image, the art we create. Um, now we have people on the team that are so much better than, than me at it. Uh, Christine is so good at it. Kevin's so good at it too. But, um, you know, develop that look, um, that lifestyle. And I think the, the community building aspect, you know, it's uh, it's a tough question. I haven't really thought about it, but it, it's a team effort big time.
0: I love that you called it art that you create. Um, is that in reference to the, the clothing or the content?
2: Both, both.
0: That's amazing. I mean the Instagram account at Roback for anyone listening is itself a curated pretty much masterpiece of drone videos <laughs> and other scintillating uh, types of content. I'd love I'd love to hear how you how you balance your skill set as a Excel bro, if you will, with being a creative, essentially short film producer that acts as a face of the brand on social media and beyond.
2: I think Excel, building a beautiful Excel file and editing a video are more alike than people people give credit. Um, I think you can activate that creative part of your brain so quickly, building Excel files. Um, but not many people do and i always encourage people to do it you know um you know when i was working finance at ge i always wanted to step out and help the marketing team or help the operations team whatever it was so maybe there's a little chip on my shoulder you know i want to make sure i'm not just a finance person um and and i think i found like that's more where my passion lies in that in that the creative juice is building the brand um, on the creative side, but uh, it's an interesting battle, not not a battle, but a, a balance because I'll work with our finance team who's, who's incredibly creative at, to their own right, but also unbelievably sharp, so much sharper than me on forecasting our financials, our cash flow, um, you know, daily metrics, everything. Um, thank God we have them because they've absolutely beasted. All, all, financial operations that I helped start with Christina and Kevin, um, and then on the other side we've got our chief content officer Pete, who's an absolute beast. You should, you should see him chop, edit, you know, videos together, bring in After Effects, everything. And I just try to learn from both of them, um, but also try to help encourage them to just be beasts in their own regard. Um, but it's constantly switching gears from you know, numbers to, to creative. Um, and then you go to the design team and it's like a new type of design, but a big thing for us is trying to connect every product we design, you know, in terms of the apparel with that video content and, and photographic content too. So we truly can tell a story with every product we design. Um, we, we gave it a unique name. The, de- the design has some great inspiration and we capture, the whole story in a photo, and best case, a video too.
0: It's amazing. Well, I certainly enjoy the content you guys create. I can't enjoy the Excel files nearly as much, <laughs> but maybe maybe one day you'll give me a you'll give me a tour around some of your your old tips and tricks, Lofty.
2: No, thank you, Zip. I, I have a lot to learn from you. Well, uh, we can share. We can have a beer over it at some point.
0: I, I look forward to that to that next time. The the last question that I want to ask is something that I've asked on previous episodes, and so far I've really enjoyed the answers. I'd love for you to describe what a life well lived to you looks like.
2: Ma'am. A life well lived. I believe you surround you you have surrounded yourself with unbelievably positive. And inspirational people um, if you're lucky enough to do it with your family I know some people are born into very different situations but just because you may not be blood-related doesn't mean they need they, they aren't your family um, but surrounding yourself with un- unbelievable people who are there for you but I think more importantly you're there for them um, I think that's part one um, Number two is I think you I think a, a life well lived is you've created something that you're passionate about um, doesn't need to be a business you know could be an incredible blog that you write could be a, an awesome you know hobby that you're passionate about and and you've built a, a collection of um, in my case I really wanted to build a business um, and I could only do it with my two you know, best friends, Christina and, and Kevin, um, but something that you're passionate about and is authentic to you, I think too, and you're what you want to do. Um, then it's, then it can be long lasting. And then I think the, the third one would be finding a way to give back. Um, we highlighted earlier, but I think the ideal, ideal situation is you build something that, that has a way to give back. Um, and kind of, you know, use your gift to, to help others. Um, and then I think four would just just be be active. Um, you know, doesn't necessarily need to be in in zip shape, uh, but you know, be healthy, eat healthy, um, and just be active. And I think those four things, if you combine them, that's a life well lived. Um, and I have faith that if you, if you pull those four things off, you'll live for a long time, or at least you, even if not, you'll live for a, you'll have a very fulfilled life. Um, that's all I can think of, but I think those four, and it's a pretty good, pretty good. I
0: love it. Well, if you, if you think of something else, we'll, we'll have you back on lofty. We'll, we'll edit this episode. We'll edit it in.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: Stanley, don't fill me in. What, what came up for you that I forgot?
1: So there's uh, really just two points of clarification. One for those who are not as savvy in the construction arena. I wanted to, and because it's so foundational uh, to you, Matt—no pun intended—I wanted to define what a pile driver was, which is a, basically a piece of construction equipment that drives piles into the ground to provide fo- foundational support for buildings like City Field. Is that is that accurate?
2: That's right. Yep. All
1: right. And then you also said that uh, I think the quote was not as not quite as active as Zip, but he's gotten pretty slow in his old age. Um, you know, but back when he was in his, you know, mid twenties, he was much more active. But you know, he's a city boy now. And you know, he barely he barely runs a few blocks, I think. So I just Matt, wanted to Matt, put that out there. Matt outside.
0: doesn't need to know that, Stanley. Matt doesn't need to know that. He can he can keep the vision of me from, from the mid twenties for as long as he wants.
2: Great clarification, Stanley. Thanks. I'll I'll remember that.
1: All right. So for the um <clears throat> for the next section, we it's called overrated, underrated. So I'm going to throw out a few things that Zip and I compiled and you say overrated or underrated or appropriately rated. Um, and if you want to say why you're welcome to say why dog mascots
2: underrated, they'll always be just the best animal in the world. Working with your spouse underrated. I think it's, uh, it's one of my lucky, uh, very, very lucky for me that I get to do it. Um, I think it's hard at times, but carve out time for your spouse, which we're not that good at. We got to get better. And B, um, I think you find out very quickly if you're meant to be, if you work with your spouse. Um, and I'm, I'm lucky enough that Christina puts up with me.
1: Steph Curry, the basketball player.
2: Underrated. Will always be. That's one of the, the best things about him. He's an underdog. Uh, best potential, best Offensive player of all time at the end of his career. Steph Curry, the golfer, also underrated. Uh, man, Zip and I got to tee it up with them. Uh, he, I know he beat me that day. I forget if he beat you, Zip, but um,
0: Noxie, you guys are both way better than me. <laughs>
2: He's a legend. I think if Steph specialized in golf, he might be a better golfer than he is basketball player
1: installing yourself as a male model
2: (laughs) way overrated uh yeah i I try to keep the ego out of things and male model is uh there's a lot of ego in that so i only do it if i have to dress up as someone else usually
0: most most recently abe lincoln at the Ryder cup
1: which i think is pretty good Islands where you can only travel by golf cart.
2: Oh, underrated! Brings me to De Fusky Island, where my parents um, we used to go on vacation as we were when we were little, and my parents retired to. And that place is full of activities. Probably my favorite place on earth. Although Charlottesville might be there now.
1: Barefoot water skiing.
2: Underrated. I think it's. Uh, it's uh, very tough, but it builds character because you have to fall so many times when you're when you're trying. The Masters, underrated, will always be heaven on earth.
1: Bucket hats.
2: Bucket hats underrated. We're trying to we're trying to bring them to the world. Um, it keeps you out of the sun. And it keeps you cool. Um, and starting to look cool too.
1: The '90s are coming back too, right? So
2: totally. Uh, GE. Ooh, good question. I don't know the stock price now. Um,
0: you don't have to go by financials, lofty. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and that is a good way to measure the this to, to this rate rate it, add yes. a disclaimer
0: that this isn't financial advice.
2: <laughs> oh man, as a to work there, I think it's underrated because you get so much unbelievable training as a. Stock investment, maybe it's overrated because um, it's just it's just being out disrupted, um, and I know it's just such a big behemoth that it'll challenge being a, uh, you know, being competed against by all these startups. V lookup underrated. Oh, love the V lookup. We actually can't wait. I wish I had it to show you guys. We just designed a polo called the VLOOKUP, and it's just a bunch of charts and graphs in this cool color palette. Um, but can't wait to come out with that.
1: That might have to be my first uh, road back purchase then.
2: Nice, Stanley. You, you,
1: you've hooked me. All right. I love, I love VLOOKUP. All right. <laughs> and then finally, and I don't, I don't know where you grew up, but you mentioned it, so I got to ask the New York Mets.
2: Underrated. I'm a, I'm a Mets fan. Um, I grew up in Connecticut right outside. But uh, I, think they, I think they play on a great field with a great foundation.
1: All right, fair enough. And with that, I'll hand it back to, to
0: Zip. Thanks. Well, well, well done. Not, not surprised that you think most things are underrated. <laughs> um, I love it. A couple of final questions for you. You left the, the hard-hitting ones for last. Would you rather never take off your performance polo or never be able to wear one?
2: Mm. If it's a rowback performance polo, never take it off.
0: Good answer. Would you rather sink a hole-in-one or dunk one time?
2: Ooh. The funny thing is, I have, I've dunked only once, and I was lucky enough when I was younger, I have two hole-in-ones, so... So it's a push. I would rather dunk one more time. I know that's a bad answer, but I'd rather dunk one more time. Are we
1: are we talking like putt putt in like my two year old's basketball hoop, or are we talking like
2: legit? Uh, I'm talking I'm talking uh, legit hole in one. So even that, I would dunk one more time in a game because that feeling is tough to beat. I know hole in one is is even harder to beat, but I need one more dunk. Right.
0: I, I want to cut that clip as, as the first time Matt kind of gave himself props. In- <laughs> that was, a, that was a, one of the greatest humble brags I've ever heard. <laughs> Got two all-in-ones and I've done before. So how do you want me to answer this?
2: Bad, bad answer. Please cut that. Please cut that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and finally, would you rather build a great Excel model or shoot an epic video?
2: Oh, man. Good question. I think I think shoot an epic video because it can be, it can it can like inspire more people I guess if it's done right. An Excel model. I don't know how far that's thing, that's getting. I don't know how viral that's getting.
0: Yeah, I've never seen a viral Excel model. Before. <laughs> Not yet. There's still time. Well, Lofty, thanks so much for joining us. This was awesome. Really appreciate your perspective and, and coming on the podcast.
2: Zip, Stanley, thanks so much for having me. This was awesome. You guys are the best. Keep killing it.
0: Thanks, Michael.